Welcome to Same Old City, an independent York City fans podcast. My name's Simon Craft, and who's with me? And my name's Ben Aspinall. And how are you feeling today on this fine evening, Ben? Oh, I'll tell you what, Simon, I am full of sniffles. My body aches, my head is spinning, and I just I couldn't get bed out of bed at any point today. I think I'm coming down with something. Oh, I'm sorry to hear that. Have you got any ideas? Have you done any tests or anything? I googled the symptoms, right. and I think it's FA Cup fever. Uh, oh dear. Well, that's yeah. uh, that's very appropriate, given that we are, in this episode, looking back on the 3-2 win over Crew Alexandra from the first round of the FA Cup in 2009. It's the latest edition of our Retro Rewind series. So do you think that might soothe your symptoms at all, Ben? I think um, just wrapping up under a duvet with a hot toddy and looking at um, the extended highlights of a fantastic game might just be the trick, you know? Yeah, sounds like just a tonic. So yeah, let's cast our minds back to Saturday the 7th of November 2009. Number one in the UK charts was, of course, Fight for This Love by Cheryl Cole. Banger. Um, The Czech Republic had just become the final EU member state to ratify the Lisbon Treaty. Good for them. And in the world of football, a certain Gareth Southgate had just been sacked as Middlesbrough manager, uh, despite them sitting fourth in the championship. So, yeah, I don't know what happened to him. Um, But in the world of York City, we were a few months into Martin Foyle's first full season in charge of the club. Uh, So we just narrowly escaped relegation in 2008-09, and then conducted fairly major surgery on the squad over summer. So there were lots of comings and goings, uh, with some arrivals including Michael Gash, Michael Rankin, Richard Paquette, uh, more on him later, Alex Lawless, Neil Barrett, James Meredith. Basically, there were quite a lot of uh, signings and departures that summer. And we'd had decent starts of the season, sitting in sixth place in the National League, or Blue Square Premier, I believe it would have been at that time at the time of this game, but we hadn't won in our last four league games. We'd progressed past Bedworth United in the fourth qualifying round, 2-0 win, but I think we were still trying to work out the right balance in midfield and attack, because Rankin and Gash had both been brought in. They'd been tried together a little bit, but a certain Richard Brodie's form was making him basically undroppable. Um, He'd already got 12 goals to his name that season. So Ben, what's your sort of recollection of following City at the time? I mean, for whatever reason, um, I pretty much decided to get back into York City like properly uh, for the 09-10 season. I, I, I don't know what it was. I, my first game of the season was the a drab 0-0 draw at home to Rushton and Diamonds, which I distinctly remember. But from there, yeah, uh, just started going to games and started really enjoying it again, just with, with, with friends of old and making new mates. Yeah, and I definitely got the bug. Absolutely. It was hard not to be excited by players like Richard Brody. We spent 55 grand on Michael Gash, despite the um, failed attempt to bring him in with uh, Darius Charles. And uh, players like Barrett and Lawless were, were really, really good to watch. In terms of our um, early season start, you're right. Um, the side or the starting 11 that Foyle would settle on had yet to really crystallise by this point. Um, of the season that we're talking about at the very start of November. Uh, players like um, Adam Smith, who starts this game, and Craig Nelthorpe, who comes on as a sub, 
We're still part of the squad. We're still making appearances. But um, as the season went on, um, it kind of felt like the wingers became more defensive, didn't they? So I remember um, Carruthers started to play, uh, you know, reinforce his position on the left wing, despite being a left back. And Lawless, something of like a, a deep-lying playmaker, started playing on the right wing. And Levi Mackin came into the middle, didn't he? So it was very, very rigid, 4-4-2. I even remember uh, Ben Perkis playing at right wing at some point as Parslow, you know, was sat behind him at right back. So um, we talk about uh, defensive managers. I think Foyle was right up there, ironic, considering his history as a striker. Yet at the same time, considering as I was starting to, uh, in my own personal life, I, I, I was working, I was temping in Manchester, so I was starting to get a bit more disposable income. I was starting to go to more uh, away games that I was I, I previously hadn't. And I was starting to fall in love, weirdly, with uh, with foil ball. I just simply couldn't get enough of those uh, 1-0 wins. Yeah, I mean, similarly, I was sort of working 9-5 to five, Monday to Friday for the first time. Um, so, yeah, earning a bit more, able to go to matches when I wanted to. Back in York after a bit of time away as well. So, yeah, I was sort of all in this season. And, yeah, it'll be interesting how our sort of memories of that time match up to the footage that we've watched because yeah foil ball doesn't necessarily get the best rep in terms of uh attractive football but there were certainly some mm-hmm. uh you know some highs along the way i think um it will come as no surprise that i'm not exactly um making a massive revelation when i say that foil ball completely depended on um the ball getting up to richard Brody in very dangerous positions um games when he was unavailable when he was injured or when he was suspended which tended to happen um, a little bit more often than we really wanted. And then we had players like, get the aforementioned Gash and Rankin up front. Didn't quite work out foil ball. It was a little bit too stodgy. So it very much depended on uh, Richard Brody playing and being on form. And whilst it's not the season that we're talking about, uh, the season after this, when Brody was sold off to uh, Crawley for a very large sum of money, and uh, foil was therefore without his uh, the apex of his tactics, it did unfortunately yeah starts to fall apart yeah i think that kind of foil brody partnership they sort of relied on each other in a way because you know we'd seen some glimpses of talent from brody but not really any sign of the player he was going to be this season until foil came in and obviously gave some of his know-how of being a um a striker himself so brody Mm. was kind of reliant on foil i think and maybe didn't recapture his form from this season after this either um, and yeah, as you mentioned, obviously the following season we dropped off quite a bit after selling Brody for significant money at the time. But yeah, let's look at the the lineup from this game in particular. So it's Michael Ingham in goal, as it would generally be around that time. It's a back mm-hmm. four of Ben Perkis at right back, Danny Parslow and Dave McGurk in the middle, and James Meredith on the left. So that's sort of very much what you would have as your template back four at that time, I guess. Mm-hmm. Across the middle, Adam Smith, you mentioned, on the right wing. Uh, Alex Lawless and Neil Barrett in the middle with Chris Carruthers on the left. And then Richard Brody and Michael Rankin up front together. Um, and there's no doubting that this was very much a 4-4-2 <laughs> in, the, uh, in the old school style. Um, in terms of crew, they'd just been relegated to League 2. They'd had a mixed start to the season, although they had just won 4-0 away at Cheltenham in the previous game. Um, in terms of their players, they've got Calvin Zola, who uh, will crop up in this game. There's a young Ashley Westwood on their side, who 
obviously went on to have a decent career in the Prem, and a certain Clayton Donaldson on the bench as well. Any thoughts on uh, on the lineups, Ben? I think um, this is early to mid-season classic foil. Um, he'd get to dispense with Adam Smith and, and, and start going more defensive, as I mentioned earlier. So obviously, I think the thing that stands out for me most is the um, partnership at the back between Daniel Pazzo and um, Dave McGurk. Pazzo was obviously captain for this season, and McGurk had now been there for a good number of years, very much a fan favourite. But I do remember, uh, I, don't know, I don't know if you do, Sai, but online forums, people clamouring for us to sign, you know, a big six foot four, um, beat red faced, scarred defender with a criminal record to be, you know, the ying to the other one, of a yang to uh, McGurk and or, or Parslow. Well, the rest of our squad were doing their best to uh, to get the criminal record. <laughs> part of it, no, that's very true. I think that was always a perception, wasn't it, that McGurk and Parslow, both good players, but they needed a, a big lad alongside them. Yes, that's true. And I mean, in the games building up to crew, we'd had Sangare in the middle of defence as well, haven't we? He'd, he'd been partnering... Parslow, um, a month before, month before this game, Sangare got that last-minute equaliser at home to Stevenage. So players have been tried there, um, but for, for form reasons, um, it might be for injury reasons, I can't remember if Sangare is on the bench, but yeah, it's McGurk and Parslow, the classic combination at the back uh, for this match. And when you consider that up against um, Zola, who's a good six-foot-four lad, isn't he? He's a big old boy. Um, I think they do uh, quite well. Yeah, well, let's get into the action from the game itself. Um, So there are highlights available online, and I'll put the link to those in the episode notes. There's actually the full 90 minutes available online, but I won't uh, expect anyone to subject themselves to that. You did did to me, though, didn't you? Well, you know. (laughs) (laughs) It was a very, very enjoyable um, watch, courtesy of the uh, YCTV archive so massive thank you to uh, our friend phil howden for that yeah absolutely but yeah so the first half first thing to note is that we're shooting the wrong way uh which uh. i always hate <laughs> this is a case for most of that season wasn't it um i think it was a mantra that came on from you know down from on high from foil and his staff that um we try and get that early goal if not more than one and cling on defending our goal in the second half. So, um, you know, whatever, if that's what they want to do. Yeah, I mean, in many ways, this is kind of a perfect FA Cup match, which will get to, you know, the comeback and the the winner and so on. But the only way it could have been a bit more perfect is if we'd been, you know, shooting towards the longer second half, I think. Uh, yeah. So that was a shame. Another thing I noted straight away was the uh, the kit. Now, I'm, oh, yes. I'm a fan of this kit, the, the red and blue half and half, but... They're playing with blue shorts and blue socks on this occasion. There's a lot of blue for a team who's uh, predominantly known for for playing in red. I had this. I had this particular season's um, shirt. I still got it somewhere. Does it still fit? Does <laughs> maybe in a few more gym visits, but no, it's uh, it's still lying about somewhere, and I I love it. I I really really like this, this season's um, kit, and when it moved to the red shorts, I felt personally affronted. <laughs> In terms of the game itself, what strikes me straight away is just how direct we're playing. Mm-hmm. Every opportunity, really, it's let's get the ball forward to Brody, or more often, to be honest, Rankin, who you know he you know he's good at holding up the ball, mm-hmm. um, playing with his back to goal. But that we were very much bypassing the midfield at every opportunity, 
and crew quite similar to be honest it's contrasting it to you know watching us play this season and all the passing it around at the back it's it feels like from a different era really even though it's only 14 years ago i agree with that um i'm really i was really um happy to go like dive into the memories of uh not only Rankin's hold up play, but also um, Brody's. He was actually pretty decent with his back to goal as well. And um, people seem, I, I certainly did, but other people may forget that. And also, um, at various different points during the whole 90 minutes, uh, Rankin does really well in terms of he's using his feet. It's not just flick ons, it's not just, you know, chesting on or trying to get a touch to the next other player. He's very good at controlling it and holding players off and bringing others into play, you know, with accurate passes. Um, not something I, I, I could remember. I remember him not being great in the air in terms of like heading on, um, you know, long punts upfield from the defence or Ingham. But he's pretty damn. I remember. I, I could. I have to be honest. I kind of forgotten how good he was with his feet. Yeah, that was something that I picked up as well. Is I think Rankin has a really good game mm. here, and yeah, we maybe don't remember how decent he could be. You know, he didn't have the best scoring record. Um, we maybe just thought of him as the, the big target man. But yeah, he certainly has a few little touches which show a bit of class. First chance in the game, really, I think comes to Crew, and it's Calvin Zola. Mm. He's played in by a back heel from Moore, uh, but he sort of blazes it high and wide. Quite a decent chance, getting him behind the defence early on. Yeah, I agree. It's good build-up play. The slight moments during... Uh... I think for Cruz, definitely for Cruz, two different two goals, we see that slight difference between um, what we'd now call Vanarama National League, but obviously Conference National in those days, and uh, League Two. Zola, you know, should do a lot better from where he is. It, you know, he, that's the kind of the first moment you see how big and how strong Zola is. So, you, I'm sure if you were at McGurk or Parslow at that point, you were wondering, probably going to be in for a fun afternoon. Yeah, although speaking of Parslow, he gets our first decent chance which is uh corner gets swung in um, there's a header from Rankin which is blocked and it falls straight to Danny Parslow and yeah it's probably the last person you want it to fall to on the edge <laughs> of the six yard box no disrespect intended um, but he does sort of bobble a shot goalwards uh, but it's blocked on the line mm, it's a great effort as well yeah the initial effort from Rankin's pretty decent and um, you know throwing his weight around in the six yard box but yeah it falls to Parslow Gets a decent effort away and they're off the line. Uh, and then there's a subsequent corner afterwards and that Brody heads just wide. And yeah, this is on the 30-minute mark as well. So you're looking at a first proper real chance after a good half hour, which shows just how difficult it was to break down this uh, this crew side. Yeah, you mentioned the, the Brody header uh, after a flick on by Adam Smith. Uh, the only other note I had about that was just... Uh, there's a lovely touch from Alex Lawless in the build-up, and that was another thing I took away from this was just, you know, have we had anyone who looks as comfortable with a football at his feet than Alex Lawless, just in terms of his sort of close control and laying off little passes with just the perfect weight on them and stuff. Mm-hmm. Even on a very, very tough and somewhat bobbly pitch, he seems ever so graceful, doesn't he, with the ball. It's just a shame that he shaved his head for this one, isn't it? He looks, um, he looks absolutely terrifying. Yeah. Um, but 33 minutes in, it's crew who take the lead. Dami Shell. Moore. This is Grant. And crew ahead. 33 minutes gone. Joel Grant opens the scoring. And it's Joel Grant who gets the goal. So the ball gets worked to him. 
so just inside the area on the left. Now Ben Perkis is trying to block it, but there's sort of some neat little footwork by Grant, mm-hmm. and then a powerful shot right into the roof of the net, beats Ingham at his near post. Um, I think that's sort of another instance when you think, okay, maybe this is the slight difference in quality to lead yeah. to, because um, he just sort of bamboozles our defenders, really. Um, I mean, usually you'd, you'd um, have a got the goalkeeper, wouldn't you, say by saying you shouldn't be get, getting beat at your near post. But the way angles are shot into the roof of the net, Ingham has no chance. It's beating him before it's before he's moved. You know, he's he's been beaten by a very, very strong and very, very quick shot that rifles past him. And you can't argue with the quality. No, I think it's a it's a very well taken goal. Um, but we didn't actually have to wait too long until we got the equaliser. Adam Smith. Good run. And a fine cross. Brody! Richard Brody gets the equaliser for York and congratulates the supplier. Um, and we talked about Adam Smith in terms of him having that run in the team on the right wing. And he's really sort of a very old-fashioned, traditional winger, I guess, um, mm-hmm. that you don't see as much anymore, where he just likes you know, beating a man for pace on the outside uh, and whipping a cross in. Um, and that's exactly what he does here. He, you know, he dribbles down the right wing, plays in a cross that finds Brody, who beats his man with a diving header into the top right corner. Um, it's not an easy chance, you know. It's it's not easy to get to, um, and it's not easy to to score once he does get to it. So I think it's a sort of a sign of a player who's high on confidence, really. Mm-hmm. And um, I think you're totally right about everything that's involved in his goal. Uh, Smith's driving run is really good to watch. I think he has two players on him, does he not? And he manages to you know stop, assess the situation, go on another bit of a run before. Um, I don't think it's a drilled cross or even a floated. I think it's kind of a floated one, is it not? Into the middle of the area. Yeah. Brody anticipates that lovely dive, diving header, uh, but also loops, doesn't it, nicely into into that top corner. So it's a real, really good goal of um, top quality. Yeah, definitely. I can remember sort of clamouring for Smith to be included in the team when we were playing that very narrow four with with Lawless on the right. You know, I thought we'd mm. be better with Lawless and Barrett in the middle, but obviously. Foyle had his reasons. Maybe he wanted to be more solid. Yeah, must be, I think it's a trust thing. Uh, that's all I can think of. Maybe I'm forgetting something in the 14 years since this season. But um, when you consider how solid and, for want of a better phrase, stodgy we were for that final third, just aiming for that playoff spot, I think you're right. I think he just trusted Lawless to be more, you know, more defensively minded, protect Perkis more in that position. Lawless wasn't really one for those driving runs that we've just been demonstrated to by Smith here. So I guess that's what Foyle uh, wanted from his um, from his wingers. Yeah, but we're back at one all, uh, but not for too long, unfortunately. So it's that uh, that sucker punch. A couple of minutes later, uh, Crew take the lead again. This is Grant. Westwood making the run. Grant picks up Zola. Crew back in front. The six foot three inch Congolese striker. Now we talk about Foyle's team's been solid defensively, but there's not that much evidence of, of that <laughs> here. So it's Joel Grant who brings the ball forward again, and he's doing lots of little step overs to fool Dave McGurk. Now, if anyone does want to watch the full 90 minutes of this, I would challenge you to count how many step overs Joel Grant <laughs> attempts or makes in this game because it, we must be talking, you know, 30 plus. He's, uh, he, he absolutely loves a step over. Um, but yeah, it works on this occasion. 
beats McGurk. A little chipped cross to Calvin Zola, who's completely on his own in front of goal. Beats Parslow, who's sort of appealing for offside. And Zola's just got a simple task of, of heading it past Ingham. And yeah, so the, we weren't level for long, unfortunately. No, you're absolutely right. Um, well worked goal. Good finish by Zola. Right in front of his um, uh, his away fans. Um, I think I said to you via text, did I not, that um, I'd kind of forgotten the scoring um, order for this particular match. I thought it was one all at halftime. So when I'm watching the full match on on YouTube, and Zola gets the, gets a two one, I'm kind of like, oh, is he offside? No, he's not offside. Oh, okay, right. Oh yeah, two one at halftime. That makes sense, right? Okay. No, I was exactly the same. That was one of many things that I had misremembered about this game. I thought it was one all at halftime. I also thought Crew were in League One at the time, so obviously thought it was <laughs> a bigger upset than it was. I also maybe thought it was higher quality game than it actually yeah. is. In, in my head, it was a bit of a classic. Um, and it's certainly dramatic. You know, there's plenty mm. of drama. There's a couple of moments of quality. But particularly first half, the quality isn't brilliant, I wouldn't say. There's a lot of sort of hit and hope, head tennis, that sort of thing. The three goals are very, very good, especially Cruz, fair play to them. But outside of that, um, a lot of it's kind of stats-based for us, is it not? I mean, that's the buzz at the moment, is it, isn't it? But, um, you know, corners, crosses in, second balls, all that sort of stuff. Bit rudimentary, but you know, sometimes simplicity is the best, isn't it? Yeah, and we do kind of look dangerous every time the ball gets worked to Brodie and Rankin because you can see they've got that understanding. You can see mm. they're playing with confidence. They're keen to get a shot off whenever possible. So yeah, maybe not the uh, easiest on the eye, but it was you know exciting in its own way. But yeah, it's two one to Crew at half time. Moving into the second half. Again, it was fairly even, I thought, um, watching it back. There were chances at both ends. Um, there was a decent chance for Crew uh, when Joel Grant was again uh, doing a few stepovers, passed it infield to Simon Walton, uh, ex-Leeds youngster, I think, um, and his low shot was just wide of the near post. And then we had the ball in the back of the net, uh, which was ruled out for offside. So Lawless takes a shot from range, which is actually taken with his left foot, so quality uh, with both feet that gets parried by the crew keeper and Adam Smith's running in to tap in the rebound and um, but yeah it gets gets called offside which I think was probably correct looking at it yeah was it I, I couldn't quite make it out um, there's a few replays on the highlights as opposed to the full match but also I thought it was a good effort from Lawless it's a weird save from the goalkeeper isn't it it's, it's one of them where he's like diving past it one of those classic ones but yeah another chance for crew after that again it's Grant again it's step overs um, he has a <laughs> shot blocked by Parslow, and then it falls to Calvin Zola on the penalty spot. I think this is a really decent chance where it just basically lands on his head. There's no one near him, but he just mm. doesn't get a, a good header on it, and it just sort of loops over the bar. It's, it's one of those efforts where if you break it down and look at it properly, as you've just done, say, it's like that's a real opportunity, that. Because in, in terms of watching it live in normal speed, oh, it's just an header over the bar. That maybe comes from too quick. But yeah, if you look at it properly, I think he's probably should actually be scoring there when you consider the time and space. And it's not that the ball didn't come at him. He's got the time to place his header where he wants to place it. And Ingham's nowhere to be found. He's going to loop Ingham if he does it right. So, yeah, I agree with you. It's a bit of an odd one, that. Another chance for us where uh, there's good work by Lawless to win the ball back. And he finds Brody. And again, we're talking about that confidence thing. Brody just kind of turns 
and takes a shot from 25 yards out and it's not that far over really um, and you know he did have form for pinging one in from you know from outside the area didn't he yeah and just to repeat myself again sorry so that's that's the example i think i thought of where i mentioned about brody's hold up play it does come from the confidence that you said but the way that he turns it he receives the ball to feet back to goal turns and has a confidence to run and shoot i think there is you could have maybe have a pop at him because there's a chance to play. Um, I believe it's is it Adam Smith who's running through on a left channel, who could be clear through if um, Brody just passes the ball. But you're right, it's the confidence. He knows how good he is. He knows how how top his form was at this time. It feels like he's earned the effort, and uh, you know, fair enough. That will come uh, into play a little bit later in this match. Yeah, and I'm sure we'll talk about Richard Brody in more depth on other episodes in future, but it is just nice sort of seeing him in his element here. You mm-hmm. know, his rosy red cheeks, <laughs> grin on his face, um, and yeah, just tormenting opposition defenders. But yeah, it's sort of moving towards the uh, towards the end of the game, really, and the and crew is still 2-1 up. You know, the lights fading, the floodlights are on. Yeah, the only thing I would add at this point, it's not so much a highlight, just something I noted watching um, the full 90, is uh, towards the final 15 after Nelthorpe comes on for Carruthers, there's a, th- a flurry of corners and spoilers, the equaliser does come from one. But um, City has started to do a lot of wing play with the full backs and the uh, the wide players, a lot of trying to get it into the middle. And Carew are taking their chances by simply heading out for corners. So a, a good number of them. On 83 minutes, the Pac Man, Richard Paquette, with his own FA Cup history, of course, Si. Um, Oh, I'd forgotten about that. Two seasons before, scoring at Anfield for uh, having at Waterlooville. But yeah, he comes on. Comes on for uh, Meredith, I believe, as well, which is a strange one. So it's kind of some sort of... I think it was I think it was a genuinely a switch to a three at the back, maybe, because, yeah, he's brought Nelthorpe on for Carruthers. So again, he's going with two out-and-out wingers now because Smith's still on the pitch. I think it's, yeah, it's just sort of throwing last throw of the dice, really, in terms of let's get three strikers on and let's try and, you know get back into it sort of by, you know, force of will. I mean, obviously, uh, you'll come on to um, York's equaliser from Paquette, um, which comes from the corner, but just you don't get from the highlights. Um, Paquette's first involvement is a corner before that, and it goes straight to the near post, and it's an absolute waste of a corner. I think it's Barrett who takes it, and the crew defender kind of like makes a mistake, and it goes out for another corner. And, you know, if you're thinking from a crew point of view, how do you just put out maybe for a throw-in? Or back into play, you know, away from the penalty area. They'll have saved themselves the equaliser that's shortly coming. But yeah, you don't see that on the highlights. Um, you know, it's a corner that leads to another corner that leads to a goal. Yeah, I mean, Paquette is only on the field about 60 seconds before he <laughs> scores. But yeah, in that time, he wins a corner very early on. Yep, that corner gets put out for another corner, which Barrett swings in. Barrett scores. Paquette! Four minutes remaining and York back on level terms. A reward for their pressure. Neil Barrett's corner. Coming to Paquette. And James Bailey so close to blocking it. Now there's ironic cheers when he swings the ball out. I'm not sure why. Do you think it's just because he beats the first man this time? or? Yeah, it's that, um, as I mentioned, the uh, rather poor efforts before that uh, I, I, I'm presuming the ironic shears are coming from Cruz fans it's hard to tell obviously 
where the camera's placed at Boom and Crescent. But anyway, there's some ironic cheering as it bounces through to Richard Paquette, who brings it down his chest and then, yeah, stabs it home on the half volley. Like I say, about almost exactly a minute after coming on as sub. He hadn't made much of an impact at the club before that. It's just his second goal for the club and he wouldn't really make that much impact after it. But it's nice for him to have his little uh, moment in the sun at, the, at City. Absolutely agree. He, he was brought on for this very reason and he, you know, he accomplished his goal. Uh, maybe the defender on the line who kind of blocks it, but he goes into the top corner. Probably could do a little bit better, but who cares? The Pac-Man has his moment. Um, I'm happy to say I was there at Hazen Yedding early on in the season when he got a, a late equaliser for York in the August sunshine. So, I yeah, I was there for Paquette's two goals. That's uh, that's a lovely York City memory to have, isn't it? Oh, definitely. And, yeah, obviously the uh, crowd are going pretty mad that we've got this equaliser, you know. We've we've taken them to a replay, was the, was the thought at the time. Is that is that why you think uh, Graham, Luke Graham comes on for Adam Smith at this point? Yeah, that's that seems like it must be Foyle trying to shut up shop. You know, he's he's risked that <laughs> extra attacking sub. We've got the equaliser. And mm. he's thought, okay, right, let's not push our luck. Let's bring another defender on for one of our attacking players. But Richard Brody has some other ideas. It's pretty much straight away, isn't it? Because there's a break and play because of the substitutions. And then pretty much from Crew's kickoff, there's another, I think maybe Crew have one more attack. But from there, things change. This is Brody. Nelford. Brody's making the run. And strong. Could it be? And what a finish! A minute to go. And the 22 year old Geordie has made it 3 2. And look what it means to York City. Brody strong, determined, and he'll remember that for a long time. So yeah, let's let's talk through this this winner in detail. <laughs> Happily, Simon. So it's Neil Barrett with a kind of punt over his head, really. That is sort of a hit and hope. But like I say, we're aiming for this for those two or three up front now, uh, and he finds Brody out on the left. But Brody's got a lot to do from there. You know, he's got his back to goal. He's he, he's far out on the um, on the wing, but he uses strength to hold off the defender, lays it back to. Uh, Craig Nelthorpe, who hadn't been on the pitch too long. And Nelthorpe passes it forward to Michael Rankin, who puts a very delicate little touch around the corner past the oh. defender to the onrushing Brody. It's gorgeous, that touch, isn't it? I know Brody does all the the, um, the glamorous work on that one, but um, that took the pass from Nelthorpe through to Rankin, and Rankin's holding off the defender, the little pass inside, gorgeous. Yeah, maybe shades of... Uh... England v Netherlands in Euro 96, the old Shearer A little bit of that, yeah. I'm not against that reference. Yeah, I'm happy, I'm happy with that. And it is, yeah, again, sort of a bit of a bit of a throwback, really, to have such a strike partnership. How often do you have a genuine front two anymore? Mm. Brody still has quite a lot to do, because he's still 30 yards from goal, even at this point, <laughs> and there's three defenders covering. Just three. Just the three, that's all. There's, there's only one thing on his mind, though, isn't there? So yeah, he takes it into the box, takes it past a couple of defenders, then just past the last defender and then this is when he does a little feint to shoot which which sends mm. the keeper to the floor which I mentioned the other week in comparison to to one of Dippo's goals this season and then it's a lovely little chipped finish um, at the near post and the last four touches were all with his with his weaker right foot as well mm-hmm. 
chooses not to use, chooses not to use Lawless, who's a free <laughs> free next swim, who probably has a arguably you know the better position to to, to shoot a, a goal from. But you're right, the the four touches that Brody puts in place to create the space to get the shot away, you know, renders Lawless a little bit redundant. It's just an absolutely fantastic goal. Yeah, and like I say, he clearly did just have one thing on his mind as soon as he got the ball. And oh it's, yeah, it's one of those. I'm just going to run past everyone and score. I'm not going to listen to logic or <laughs> you know science. Uh, to make another England comparison, Owen against Argentina, maybe you know it's a, yeah, yeah. Uh, again, kind of disagree. Maybe I'm maybe I'm being slightly hyperbolic here, but yeah, I think this is probably one of my all-time favorite City goals. To be honest, I, I think so too. I mean, um, the quality is added to by the context of 87 minutes. The Dictionary definition of smash and grab. The scenes in the pop stand, I remember, the scenes in the main stand, but the scenes in the shippo. Um, I know we didn't watch it together, but um, I can only imagine it was the same for your section as it was for mine, limbs. Oh, yeah, it was it was bedlam everywhere, I think. Because, um, yeah, we, <laughs> we were happy to come back to two all. Yeah. And knowing it's a straight knockout as well, that if we can hang on, we've, we've gone from going out to going through in, in a matter of a couple of minutes. It's, yeah. Lovely, lovely stuff. I mean, crew sent on Clayton Donaldson in stoppage time. Yeah, um, strange one because I distinctly remember this very much. So, um, I remember Donaldson coming on and a chorus of boos, which um, I was very surprised about. But I guess it makes sense in the context of you know a, a little bit of the manner and the way he left us, but also the fact he's coming on after ninety minutes in a. Cup tie where we're about where we're, we're about to knock out a team from a division above and he's coming on for them. So I guess it makes sense for that way. But I remember at the time me and my friends were like, why are we booing Clayton Donaldson? Yeah, I guess there's maybe still a bit of ill feeling, like you say, about the manner of him leaving because it was only a couple of years earlier. But you know, he's not able to to make an impact this time. Um, he wasn't hadn't quite um, set the world alight at Crew yet, or they would do very well, I think, um, the season after. And uh, if, you, if you're interested in a deep dive on Clayton Donaldson's career, uh, go back and listen to um, episode five of Same Old City, The Art of the Neil, which the final section of that is a deep dive into the city career or careers of Clayton Donaldson, uh, where we were joined by our guest, Ben Robinson. Um, so yeah, if you want more Donaldson content, I would uh, recommend revisiting that. But yeah, it's... Uh, not long until the final whistle blows and yeah absolute scenes i didn't remember that there was a pitch invasion yep i've forgotten that as well completely it was i remember it being an exhausting 90 minutes i think that was a point of the season where i've been enjoying the league campaign obviously i mean we were in sixth we'd been a bit up and a bit down been some iffy league form and a build up to this game but the manner of the victory i just remember being really excited by york city after a couple one or two years of just being a little bit a bit dull and just some rancid football here and there. Whilst the football wasn't, whilst foil ball wasn't particularly exciting, just the idea that with Richard Brody and to a lesser extent players like Rankin and Lawless behind him, we were never beaten. You know, we always had a chance. I think it was the yeah, the spirit, wasn't it? And the yeah, backs to the wall defending as well. We were we we're very good at, um, but yeah, just just that kind of self belief really that that we had around that time. Um, Absolutely, and this sort of epitomised that really. So, yeah, it was uh, 
a nice one to look back on, I think. Like I say, maybe not a classic in terms of quality, but certainly uh, certainly a very memorable FA Cup match. I agree. Um, uh, I don't think Doyle Grady has uh, lost something like that since his... Uh... I don't think I've ever played in the second round of the FA Cup. I don't think I've played in the first round for you all because it was on loan last year, like I said yesterday. But, um, you know, I, I think we thoroughly deserve the win and I'm just, just so looking forward to the draw tomorrow. But, yeah, for the uh, epilogue, I guess let's just look at what happened after that. So we were drawn away at Cambridge in the second round. I remember being absolutely fuming that we got Cambridge. There's nothing worse than getting the same team, uh, the same division team in, like, the first or the second round, um, especially away. It's just like, oh, God, we're going to get beat and we're going to be denied a cup run and we're not going to get Manchester United at home in the third round because we're going to lose to a team that I have to go to anyway in February. Yeah, but we didn't lose? Uh, we won 2-1, yeah. An absolute got, uh, worldie by Michael Rankin. I don't know if you recall it. Yeah, I wasn't at that game, but I have, I, I do remember watching it back at the time. Um, and yeah, he did have that very occasionally in his locker. Mm, he did. It was Brody with the other one because obviously he was scoring every week. And then a trip to Premier League Stoke in the third round. Mm. That was another uh, another experience, partly because I got frostbite that day. <laughs> but yeah, we, we went out 3-1 on that occasion, but yeah, a, a nice day out. And in terms of the league campaign, we did make the playoffs. Um, made the playoff final, in fact, losing 3-1. Yeah, did we? I don't think we need to. Yeah, it's it's fine. No, you don't want to, you don't want to deep dive that one at any point then. I think I think we might have to, but it, yeah, don't need to drag up that occasion. <laughs> um, in terms of cruise season, in case you are interested, they've ended up finishing 18th in League Two, and they went out in the first round of all the cups. So it wasn't yeah. quite maybe the giant killing we we thought it was, but it was a non-league team beating a league team, and you know. There's always something in that. Could you say that we were in cruise control? Oh, you could. Mm-hmm. That's it. That's all I've got. But yeah, any sort of final thoughts on that one? I think my main takeaway, other than it being you know, a very exciting game, was just how much football's changed since then. Because, you know, that was really 2009. It was just when Guardiola won his first Champions League and people were sort of being having their minds blown by Tiki Taka and <laughs> Who would have thought that that would have filtered down to uh, to non-league level uh, in 14 years' time, which you could argue it has? I mean, some listeners might think you're, you're, you're being a bit dramatic and, and mad by talking about, like, 2009, Pep winning Champions League and, like, one thing leading to the other. I don't think you're being that, that ridiculous. When you consider 14 years later, for a number of years now, a number of teams, even at the level below ours, try to play out from the back, you know, sweeper keepers, possession-based football, even this is only 14 years ago and it's completely changed. I think the last time we played some football like this, probably the last time we played anything resembling this was perhaps the Worthington run, the 4-4-2 he had that got into the League 2 playoffs, because I think that was similar vibes, wasn't it? It was based on, you know, um, you know, a rather stodgy midfield, one attacker feeding the other when they weren't getting hacked down by Portsmouth players. Not particularly exciting to watch, but you know, grafting, working extremely hard for one another and just pinching 1-0 wins. 
Yeah, definitely. And no, I think this game had a lot more in common than sort of 90s football as I remember it than it does with sort of modern day football. Mm-hmm. It, there's very few, you know, passes backwards or focuses on keeping possession really. It's all just let's get it forward, let's try and work it into the channels and so on. Um, so yeah, if you do want to go back and watch the highlights and see how you feel it compares with the uh, with modern day city, you know, which one you prefer, uh, by all means, uh, <laughs> let us know. And also, say, um, obviously, watching the full ninety, um, it was good to um, see and hear, um, like the Shipton Street end, um, David Longer stand. This was, I think, the height of the uh, the Yorvik Reds. Um, not an organization I was part of, but um, I had a lot of time for. Thought, thought there were a good bunch of uh, lads and lasses, you know, a lot of their uh, Falls of York sort of vibes and their chants. It was good to hear them again over the course of the 90 minutes. I don't know if you picked up on them. Yeah, I thought they definitely, yeah, the crowd made themselves heard. And yeah, they were all those sort of classic Jorvik Reds chants, I guess, that sort of transported me back to that moment. I mean, the crowd mm. was only 3,070, which I thought was interesting. Um, yeah. And you would hope if we were playing League Two opposition in a cup game now, we would get significantly more than that. But yeah, in terms of the atmosphere, it was... It was very decent. I remember it being decent at the time. But yeah, it's it's very strange, you know, um, there's probably a deep dive to be done about uh, attendance figures uh, with the move from Boom Crescent to the LNER. But I, I totally agree with you. If we played a League 2 team now, in, uh, if we're lucky enough to get through to the second round in the FA Cup this season, you could easily see it, if, especially if it's a team with a very reasonable support. I think crew inflated the numbers on this particular occasion. I think they probably bought about... I, I didn't quite catch uh, what Hovercroft says regarding... Uh, uh, the crew figures. I don't know if you did, but yeah, they probably bought about what five hundred or so. So yeah, it's the two two and a half mark at this point was uh, probably fair. That's what we seem to be getting in the league um, on average. So yeah, um, if it happened now, you'd be expecting at least five six thousand, I reckon. But let's take a look at the Twitter responses we had. Now we did forget to actually ask for people's recollection until about an hour before recording, but thankfully, <laughs> uh, people have responded. So we've got quite a few here. So um, one from Tom Putnam 11. A few things I remember. Brody's first, the diving header, was ridiculous. The fact we couldn't beat the first man with corners all day until the one we scored the equaliser from, which got an ironic cheer. Brody's winner, his feint that put the keeper down, still can't tell if it was intentional. Well, I'm not going to even countenance the uh, the idea that it wasn't intentional because, like I said, <laughs> that's one of my favourite goals. And the idea that you might have just been there. Uh, you know, tripping over a bit of turf or something, <laughs> mm. yeah, would would bring it back down to earth. But yeah, and so he finishes with absolute scenes in the long earth, ended up on the crash barrier. <laughs> One from Y Front Fanzine. I remember my mate who cannot be named, let's just call him the carpet fitter from Balby. Well, that probably narrows it down a bit. Uh, <laughs> throwing a bin onto the pitch from the pop stand when we scored the equaliser and again when we scored the winner. Do you remember the bin? I don't remember the bin. I do remember the bin. I remember it for the winner. I'm glad it got mentioned. It's uh, a very good memory. Just the players all near the pop stand, quite near, near the hoarding. Everyone just going crazy in the, sh- in the shippo and then looking across the bin, land on the pitch. Just great, great memories. Uh, Dylan Hildreth said both Brody goals were fantastic. The first a diving header, the winner sublime dribble and finish. Remember Clayton coming on as a sub for crew late on. Uh, Brian Stokes also says the match winner from Brody. What a goal. And uh, quite amusing one here from Del O'Brien saying, yes, it was 
at 916 Connor's first ever game. He was two years old. In fact, we were sat just to the right of Brody's right arm. He moaned all second half as he wanted to go back in the Smarties room. <laughs> uh, that's a lovely anecdote, and it's it, it, I'm very happy, very thankful that it's been shared with us. But do you not feel like horrific that people who are two year old, two years old at this match, are now tweeting our podcast? Yeah. So Connor did reply with just wanted my Smarties. To be fair, um, and he appears to now be sixteen, which yeah really <sighs> brings home the passing of time. In a, in a terrifying way. Soon be dead. <laughs> so yeah, thanks for all your uh, responses to that. Um, and yeah, hopefully this has been an enjoyable one to to delve back into. We have an FA Cup first round game coming up imminently in 2023, which is what we've uh, tried to time this to coincide. So hopefully it will be equally memorable and the uh, the start of another cup run. But if not, there's always next year. But yeah, otherwise, thanks very much for listening and uh, supporting the podcast. And we will see you again soon. Eat the faith. Too much of anything can make you sick. Even the good can make